And I thank you in advance for everything that you're doing, God, in their lives and in this church, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. How many of you guys excited to be at church this morning? Man, I feel the excitement in this room. I feel the anticipation in this room. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to look at your neighbor. Look at your neighbor and ask him, say, do you got the joy? Ask your other neighbor, do you got the joy? Okay, and if the answer was yes, I want you to grab their hand. Keep it holy, fellas and ladies. Grab their hand and make your way up to this altar. Come on, if they said, yes, I got the joy, bring them with you to this altar. Come on, get close and intimate. Come on, we got the joy. You got the joy. You said yes. Don't lie in church. If you said yes, come up to the altar. Come up to the front. Come on, there's joy in this place this morning. There's joy because Jesus is here. Come on, this is why we've come. Hallelujah. One, two, three, hands. Come on, put those hands together.
just you. I want to hear you say. He has made me glad. And he has made me glad. Come on, the voices. And he has made me glad. I've got the joy. I've got the joy. One more time. to joy. Can he say hallelujah? Come on, he took your sadness and made you cry. Say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, how many guys have the joy of the Lord this morning? Come on, God didn't call us to come in mopey and, and depressed, man. He has saved us so that we can have the joy to show the world, man, that he has set us free. Come on. Hallelujah. I gotta do one more time. He has made me glad. Say, He has made me glad. Say, He has made me glad. I've got the joy. I've got. Come on, if you got the joy this morning, say, He has made me glad. Of sin and darkness, who 
love is mighty and so much stronger. The King of glory, the King above all kings, who shakes the whole world long. Who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder and leaves us breathless in awe and wonder. The King of glory, the King
I sing for all that you've done for me. Let's just sing that line out together as a body. Jesus. Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. I sing to you, God. Jesus. Just begin to sing out your own song before him today. Your song matters to God in this place this morning. It's your heart to his right now, church. You are my song, oh Jesus. You are my song, oh Jesus. I sing for you, Lord. Come on, lift up, lift up the name of Jesus. Lift up the name of Jesus. Oh, we sing for you. Jesus. This is amazing one last time.
Jesus, you are the love that is greater than life. And we worship you this morning, oh God. We focus our attention on you. Jesus. Let's sing that. Let's sing that one more time. Come on. I found a love. testimony we're going to sing the chorus and then the second testimony and now we're going to sing the chorus and then the third testimony and now we're going to sing the chorus and go into the bridge and just call down fire from heaven are you guys excited come on and I just want to give you a little snapshot of what happened these radical radical on fire young men because all of our females didn't have to go anymore but we have on fire females too with our Bible college that we are associated with, SUM, School of Urban Missions, they went to the craziest, most insane, most evil and sinful party on the streets of New Orleans. It is the biggest uh, time of revelry in all of our nation. And people from all over the world, it's not just people from America that go, it is from all over the world. They come to party on the streets of New Orleans. And just imagine, a party as big as a million people on a six block radius, just reveling in the debauchery, reveling in their drunkenness and homosexuality and just sin. So I want Steve to come up, come on up. He's gonna be our first testimony. And then we're gonna have Jose and then it's gonna be Julian. I want you to testify and just talk about the power of God and what you saw. And then we're gonna sing and we're gonna hear all the other ones. Come on. Praise God. I just. I got to read the scriptures, one scripture, man. I'm not going to, I'm not going to start preaching, but, um, this is my second year going out to Mardi Gras and just like last year, this year was, it was full of Christians, people that call themselves Christians, but living opposite of what God would call us to be. Amen. So in reality, it wasn't Christianity at all. It was a made up religion that they called Jesus and they used the name Jesus as though it was, it was legit, but it wasn't legit. And this scripture God had gave me countless of times even before Mardi Gras and leading up to Mardi Gras and in Mardi Gras and even on the streets of Mardi Gras. And he allowed me to preach it on the streets. Amen. And, and it's uh, Romans 10 verse 3 it says, says, they did not know the righteousness that comes from God who sought to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. 
And there's two in particular individuals that come to mind that, that, that speak volumes with this scripture that comes alive. One gentleman, he was from New York, and there was people from all over the nation. I mean, we met almost every state, and they, almost, they all had the same logic, the same doctrine. And this guy said, oh, I'm going to heaven, I'm going to heaven. So I well, how you figure that? He got a, a beer in his hand and stuff, and he was Puerto Rican. So I kind of like came at him with that, uh, on that level, whatever. And he says, man, I'm going to heaven, Steve. What you got for me, man? I'm a good person. I don't kill nobody. I don't do this, that, and the other. I said, man, but on that day in Matthew chapter 7, verse 20 to 23, I opened up my little Bible, and I read it to him. And he said, oh, but who they're talking about? I said, well, why don't you read it? And you tell me. So he read it out the Bible. And he told me, you know what? I don't care what that says. Because I, as long as I believe in my heart, I'm going to heaven. Jesus is not going to send anybody to hell. So it's okay that I do this. It's okay that I drink and get, and get lustful because Jesus is not going to send me to hell. And he read the Bible, and he said, I don't care what that says. But he still claimed to be a Christian. What Bible is he reading? Then there was another brother named Kyle. And he, he first started, and he said, man, I said, man, well, you got a Christian background? He said, no, I'm Baptist and Catholic. I said, man, that's, wow. Well, I'm just Puerto Rican. I'm, I'm just Christian. You know what I mean? And, um, and I said, man, are, are you going, you're going to heaven or hell if you die? He said, oh, man, Steve, I'm going to heaven. I said, well, how do you know? He's like, well, I'm a good person. You know, I do what I got to do. I don't hurt anybody. You know, I said, man, but you're drunk right now. You're living crazy right now. You're with your friend who was a Jewish agnostic. God have mercy on him. And it was like, dude, you think God, when he looks down on you right now, is he pleased to see what you're doing? And he said, no. And I gave him, I said, is Jesus your Lord? He says, yes. I said, do you know what Lord means? He's like, no. I'm like, dude, he means he's the master of your life. Is he controlling your life? And he said, well, Steve, man, now that you said that, man, you, 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 you gave that definition, I'm going to hell. And he admitted that right there, man. Me and my partner was able to pray over that brother, and his brother got delivered on those streets of Mardi Gras. Amen. And I want to encourage you guys just real fast, man. A lot of us in here may be deceived. Be careful that your righteousness comes from God and not from your own heart. Be careful that you're not believing something that's opposite of this Bible, man, because this is the manual. This is from God, by God. Amen. If it ain't in here, then it ain't legit. Amen. Praise God. Come on, let's sing this out in the we tense. Wherever it says I, we're going to sing we. Come on. This is we are saving grace. about what you saw and I want us to go to the second song are we able to go to the second song yeah. okay come on tell us what you saw in the streets of Mardi Gras and how it impacted your life all right um quick testimony um let me see I think it was the first couple of days I was there my wife uh texted me she's like somebody's gonna be there with a yellow rain jacket on and go talk to him so I prayed and the Holy Spirit told me it's gonna be the last day so I didn't even, I wasn't looking for it. And the last day I'm talking to my partner right here. And then some guy with a yellow rain jacket. It's not raining, all right? It's not raining outside. Some guy with a rain, yellow rain jacket runs by in front of me. Oh, oh, I'm, hey, yo, 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 yo. I, I grabbed the guy. He almost walked past our boundary. So I, I really, I ran up to him. And I'm like, hey, man, I got to talk to you, man. And I told him everything that happened. I told him about the text. You, I want to tell you he got saved. But no, it didn't phase him. It did not phase him one thing. He just was like, all right, that's cool. It did not phase him. His heart was so cold. His heart was so cold, it didn't, 
it, it didn't register. I felt like it didn't even matter what I said to him. And I pleaded with him. I pleaded with him. I'm like, listen, dude, God is reaching out to you right now. Right now, you're the only person I see with a yellow jacket or a yellow rain jacket. And he's whatever, you know. And I was, I'm telling you, I pleaded with the guy. I said, let me, I was trying to snatch him out the fire like Jude says. Snatch him out the fire. I tried. And I pleaded and I almost cried. I said, all right, man, I don't, I don't know what to tell you, man. I don't, I don't know what to say. And he's like, man, I was raised a Baptist. Or I'm in a, I went to a Baptist college, you know, uh, uh, but I'm an atheist now. And um, I didn't know what to say. I, didn't, I said, man, let me just pray for you. Let me just pray for you. And he said, man, people have been praying for 10 years for me. And I said, well, let me just add one or something, you know. And I just laid my hands on him and prayed for him. And, and I was a little discouraged, but I thought, man, God's going to use that, amen. And God's going to use that. And then I started to think, man, what, what really matters? You know, this guy went to a Bible college or something like that. What really matters? Not that you go to church or something like that. Amen, church is good. But what really matters is your soul. The souls of men and women. That's it. That's the only thing that matters is the souls. That's it. Not your job, not your title, not your career, not your family. Your soul. The souls of men and women. That's it. That is it. What does it profit a man to gain the world but, but lose his soul? That's it, man. I encourage you to reach out to people. Man, it really put a burden on my heart. Reach out to your family members that are lost. Pray for them. Get on your knees and pray and cry for your family members, your friends, everyone. They would go to hell if they would die in their sin. Like our brother said, they might think they're okay with God. Snatch them out the fire. Amen? Snatch them out the fire. Amen. Come on. You guys may be seated at this time as we finish out. Everybody take a seat. Julian, come on up. You guys may be seated. Julian, come on up and tell us what you saw God do. And I just want to make this charge, Metro, praise to you, because we're going to stand back up together. I just want to make this charge back to you. We want to be a church that is mobilized to preach the gospel wherever we go. Because it's not just those that are called to full-time ministry that are going to Bible college. We want to uh, explode this call of God in your life. Whether you're a doctor, you have a call of God to preach. If you're a teacher, you have a call of God to preach. If you're a nurse, you have the call of God to preach. So let these testimonies encourage you because we at Metro Praise International, the reason why we're so passionate about evangelism, passionate about discipleship, is because we want to mobilize you to be soul winners and disciple makers. Go ahead. What's up? Let me, get, let me tell you guys something. My God is so good. Listen, listen. So I went out there. I'm expecting huge things. Let me tell you, my God ain't in the business of lying, okay? So I went out there expecting huge things. I'm like, God, use me as your vessel, Lord. Just let me, let my lips be anointed by you, Lord. Speak through me. So I go on the streets. I'm like, man, it, it's, it's crazier than I thought. I was like, man, how am I going to stop these people? These people don't want to listen. They don't want to stop. And just one by one, they kept stopping, kept stopping, kept stopping. Because God ministered to their hearts. No matter what their sin they're in, no matter what they're doing, there's a soft spot for Jesus. And Jesus will make that, make that appointment. And he'll let those people stop and say, hey, what are you saying? You know, I may be out here drinking and drunk. I may be out here doing my own thing. But I'm going to stop because I know what you're talking about. And I know who he is. And I want to know more. Let me just give you a quick testimony, man. I was out there. It was the day before the last day, and I saw some guy with a crown on. So just to open up the conversation, I was like, hey, man, I see you got a crown on. You know who else wears a crown? Me. I was like, but I, I wear it to lay it at his feet when I go to heaven. He's like, oh, oh, who are you talking about? I was like, I'm talking about Jesus, man. What do you think about Jesus? He's like, oh, I know Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm out here. I'm out here doing my thing. I was like, why are you out here then? He's like, oh, because, you know, I just want to party, have fun. He's like, I'm good with God, though. I bought my church a van, so I'm good. I'm like, you bought your church a van? What's that mean? I was like, that don't mean nothing. He's like, oh, no, 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 I'm good. I don't want to hear it. I was like, man, 
and he was like, um, he also said, you know, you keep talking to these people. Talk to these other people out here. People need it. I was like, yeah, everybody needs it. But guess who else needs it? You. He's like, oh, me. I was like, yeah, because Jesus came and made it personal on that cross. He died for you and you and you and each and every person out here. And he loves you. And he looks for the heart. He doesn't look at the sin. He looks at what he can do to make you new. And it was just, it was just glory. I would, I would like to say just like everybody else that he got saved, but he didn't. But you know what matters is that that seed was planted. That seed was planted in him. Just like it was in every person we talked to at Mardi Gras. We did it for the love of God, and God will take it from there. Amen. Come on. Jesus is awesome. I remember personally one time we witnessed to somebody who was a backslidden pastor's daughter. So, I mean, the testimonies are powerful. Hundreds and hundreds of people, believers, are out there preaching the gospel. People get saved. They put down their, their, their beer and they said, I don't want to be a drunk anymore. I want to turn my left to Jesus. So let's just sing This is Amazing Grace together as we close out this worship time. And I want you guys to think about what Jesus has done for you and now what he wants to do through you to reach others, to be soul winners. Because this passion that has come back, has always been with us. What they have brought back, they went with. They had that passion for evangelism. They had that passion for soul winning. And we want that to be upon our whole church. Amen. This is amazing grace. Let's sing it out. Come on. God, we thank you for all the miracles and the souls that were saved in New Orleans. And we believe, God, that it's going to continue in our city, throughout our nations, and to all the nations of the world. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. We worship you, King Jesus. Praise him, praise him, praise him. Who's excited to be at church this morning? Welcome to Metro Praise International. For those that don't know me, my name is Nancy Wyrostek. I'm one of the apostolic elders here. Right now, we are going to preach. I'm going to preach a gospel presentation to you. And I notice our King's kids have already gone. It's okay. They joined in our Mardi Gras testimony time. But it's so wonderful to have you guys here with us this morning, worshiping the Lord, coming hungry to hear the word of God. I'm going to be preaching to you from John chapter 8, verse 36. John 8, 36. So if the Son sets you free you will be free indeed. This message is for all of you right now who have not professed a personal relationship with Jesus. You have not been born again. The Bible says today is the day to be saved. Today is the day to get right. And when Jesus sets you free, you will be free. So many times we hear people make complaints or are scared, like, I can never change. I can't do this on my own. I got to go get better or it's never going to work. It never worked before. Listen, when you meet Jesus and you fall in love with the living God of the universe, he will set you free. There is no sin. There is no demonic lie. There is no demon from hell that can keep you from your creator. So I want to encourage you this morning, if you are not right with God, get right with Jesus today. Be born again, because if you are not born again, the Bible says your name is not written in his book in heaven, and you will spend eternity in hell when you leave this earth. 
This earth that we live in is temporary. Eternity is for eternity. It is forever. And we will either go to heaven or we will go to hell. And the reason why we are so passionate at MPI to present a gospel message every single week is because we want everybody to hear the good news about Jesus. It's good news that he came, was born, died on the cross, and rose again because it is through him that we live. With all eyes closed all across this room, if you need to get right with Jesus today, I want you to start talking to him because I'm going to begin to pray. Today is your day to get right. Today is your day to be saved, to turn from your wicked ways. We're going to have altar workers up here, two workers that are going to be ready to pray with you. Jesus, I pray that you would knock on every door of people's hearts in this room that need to get right with you, that need to stop looking back and making excuses and walk forward in your path and your commands. God, I ask, Lord, that you would convict hearts, that they would bow their knee before you and give their life to you, Jesus, because you are worthy and you will judge us one day. So I pray that your love, your, your mercy, your grace would be poured out into this room and that there would be permanent commitments made to you to never look back to their old ways. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. And everybody said, amen. If that was you this morning, please. I plead with you, meet with our workers. Let them pray with you. Find out how you can get plugged into our church. Start discipleship with our leaders. We want to be there with you for this journey. Amen. Stand up to your feet with me this morning. Every Sunday we recite our confession of faith because this is our Christian worldview. We believe this. We live by this. And our brothers and sisters around the world are being martyred because of these beliefs. And here we have the freedom. We must live it out unashamed. How many unashamed believers of Jesus do I have in this church? Come on. We are on fire for Jesus. We want the world to see. So let's recite this on the count of three. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father who so loved the world. The Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind. It is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Woo! Enjoy the fellowship time. Give away some hugs. Shake somebody's hand. And have fun. Sounds a new beginning. As distant hearts begin believing Redemption's bid is unrelenting Your love goes on Your love goes on When the world keeps waiting Carry us, carry us With your own Yeah.
Thank you for joining us this morning. We are excited every week to see your faces, to shake your hand, to give the hugs. We cherish each and every one of you and all of the relationships here. So welcome to Metro Praise. Our main services here are every Sunday at 10 a.m. And then we have Elevate Fridays at 7 p.m. As you could tell, they are on fire, ready to win all the high schools in Chicago for Jesus. Come on. Our vision here is loving God and loving people. Two greatest commandments that Jesus gave to us. And we have a three-step discipleship strategy. Connect, mentor, and send. Let's say it together. Connect, mentor, and send. And the way we want to connect you to our church, connect you to Jesus, is through our life groups. On the back of your handouts, you can see the schedule that we have going on for this quarter. Please take some time to look at the types of life groups that we have offered for you and your family and find a place to plug in. Here is a snapshot that we have for this week. And before I go through this, I just want you guys in the back, I want to give them also the times of evangelism that we have. So if you could go to chicagoforjesus.net, I'm going to say it right after the Saturday thing in light of all the testimonies of evangelism. So this is our snapshot. Are we able to do it simultaneously or no? Snapshot and that? Okay. Well, let's do, the, let's do the snapshot of the week first then, and I'll talk a little bit, because I really want them to see that. So here's a snapshot for this week. We have this Wednesday, we have our King's Kids. Let's give it up for our children coming, getting discipled. Every week, you could drop them off, 6.30, infant to 11 years old. Then we have two adult Bible studies every single Friday. Come on, one at the Govea's, one at the Walker's. If you've been blessed, I want you to make some noise because that's where the party is at on Fridays. If you are 18 and older, okay, they meet at 7 p.m. They have child care provided. And then every Saturday, somebody say every Saturday, we have evangelism at 5 p.m. Now, that is our life group for evangelism. We have some radical people coming out ready to preach the gospel on the streets. But in light of all the testimonies and all the charge for you guys to be soul winners, I want to let you know that is not the only time Metro Praise folk go evangelizing. So if you go to the chicagoforjesus.net website, that's our Chicago for Jesus website, you will see as a church, we go seven plus times a week. Somebody look to your neighbor and say, oh my. Look to your other neighbor and say, they are on fire. Okay, so let's look at this. Let's look at this. Can we go, yeah, scroll, go, are we finding it? I think you passed it. You passed it. Go back. Right, uh, no, right there. Don't move. Okay, so the, if you guys are really serious to take this charge, because Metro praise, we are very strong in evangelism and discipleship, if you can't tell. So if you want to get involved and Saturdays don't work for you, we have Sundays from 9 to 10 here this day before church. So come on out early. Spend an hour of evangelizing outside right in front of the church. Mondays, 1.30 to 2.30 at MPI during the SUM Bible College time. Wednesdays for the King's Kids time. We have people on the, in the front for an hour, 5.15 to 6.15 before the service starts for the children. Thursdays, 5 to 6 at MPI before the Resistance Life group. So come on, let's, let's get excited about this. If you're saying, hey, my schedule doesn't work, well, you don't have an excuse. There is times for you to come and witness together as a team. So Fridays, we have 5 to 6 at MPI before the youth service, and, okay, 6 to 6.45 
at the Walkers in the Govea's neighborhood before their Bible study. If that's not radical, I don't know what is. But you know what the thing is? We think that's radical because nobody really does it. There's very few that really emphasize the study bar. And I know that we're not alone, but this is actually normal. Look to your neighbor and say, this is normal. Look to your other neighbor and say, we should do it. And then here we have Saturdays. Meet at MPI. We go to different parts of the city. So I just wanted to bring that to your attention. For those that may not know, now you know, okay? So we want you to get plugged into everything that we have. And then our, um, then we want to send you out. No, first we want to mentor you before we do that. So we connect you to the life groups. We want to mentor you through our 101. We have leaders ready to take you through this book, get into your life and encourage you. And then our 201 disciples that make disciples class to really train you to be a leader among leaders because we believe every believer should be a leader. And then we want to send you out. And our goal at MPI is to have 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches and then 500 around the world. If you believe we could do that by God's grace, say amen. So exciting to be pastoring a church that is just on fire, loving God and loving people. Do you guys see that? Do you see that in, in, in each other? you see that in staff? We are so proud on behalf of the leaders to be able to pastor. It is our honor to pastor you guys, to pour our life into you, and to just do this together because we are all co-laborers with Jesus. Come on. Let's get ready to uh, learn our lesson on tithe this morning from the givingbook.org website. It's going to be up here as well. If you could turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 4, verses 2 through 5. We are still on section 1, lessons on tithing, and we are on uh, lesson 8. Section 1, lesson 8. The tithe must be a priority. Say priority. Definition of a tithe is that it is, our ten, it is 10% of our total income given to God faithfully. Let's read Genesis 4, 2 through 5. Later she gave birth, speaking about Eve, to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Let's get the main points from this passage of scripture. Number one, Cain's gift was rejected. Somebody say rejected because he waited too long to give it. The Bible records in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits. So because he did not make giving his priority and made it more like an afterthought, God did not favor or bless him. And so we got to make that personal in our lives. It's kind of like a recurring theme through all these lessons. God doesn't want our leftovers. He wants to be number one. He wants the first fruits. He wants the 10%, and he wants us to do it in excellence. Number two, Abel's gift was accepted because it was his first. Abel made giving to God a priority by giving God his firstborn animals. So it wasn't the difference because, you know, Abel gave, uh, Cain gave him fruit and Abel gave him meat. It was, has nothing to do with that. Cain gave him his leftover rotten fruit, but Abel gave the firstborn his first, the best. Come on, let's give our best. And we, you guys do give your best, so we thank you for your generosity. Here's a summary. God wants to be the first to receive from your hard work, not second or third. Let's um, apply this to our life. Number one, repent if you have not been making the tithe a priority. And two, make the habit of first giving God his tithe before you spend your money on anything else. Let's recite this confession on the count of three. One, two, three. 
The tithe was implied with Cain and Abel, revealed to Abraham, established in the law of Moses, and is still relevant for today. It comes with a blessing and curse. It must be qualitative, a priority, and a faithful practice in our lives. The tithe advances the kingdom of God, tests our maturity, breaks the attitude of greed through obedience, is mandated for all, and brings us into partnership with God and his church. Stand up to your feet with me this morning as we prepare to give our tithe and offering. We are so thankful for each and every one of you partnering with MPI to see what God can do in this city, to see his kingdom come here. We cannot do it without you. We really are grateful for your partnership. Uh, tithe, again, is 10% of your total income. Missions is any gift above your tithe that we designate to missions projects. And then the building offering is gifts above your tithe that we are right now currently designating to get a 15-passenger van. And you guys are doing awesome. Continue to stay faithful with those offerings because it's all for the glory of God. And I want to give you a new announcement because we've got exciting things coming on. Really quick. I know you guys see this slide every week, but I do want to remind those that don't know, we do have online giving available for you. Those are our three options. But also, in the back book table, we are now being able to take credit cards and debit cards for your purchases for books, uh, ties, offerings. So if you have a card, you got, we got we were able to swipe it, and you can pay right there in the back. So please see Griselda or myself if you want to purchase anything after service. That will be made available for everybody for anything that you want, T-shirts, books, offering tithe. You could do it right there from your debit card or credit card. Amen. That's awesome. Moving on up. Come on. Acts 20, 35. The Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your faithfulness to us, God. And we want to give you our tithe, our first, our best, God, because you've been so good to us. And we just pray, God, that you would use this, that you would give the leaders here the wisdom to use it, to um, designate it to where it needs to go, to win Chicago and the nations for you. We thank you for all the faithful givers, God, for this 15-passenger van. We declare, God, that it will come sooner than we think, Lord. And we uh, want to just Declare, God, that Chicago is yours, and we will do all that we can to bring your kingdom to this earth. Accept this tithe and let it be used for your glory. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen. Please come forward as you give this morning, and thank you for your generosity. If you love Jesus, can I get a woo-woo? Come on, I got to give out some awards today since we're talking about S-U-M. 
Those who don't know, the Bible college is legit. I'm talking accredited, FAFSA, I mean Pell Grants, if you, get, if you went into the military, GI Bill. So SUM is a legitimate Bible college. I went to it in New Orleans, got my AA there, went on further to get my BA, then my MA. Now I'm getting a doctorate, dropping it like it's hot, baby. Okay, so anyways, I wish it could be PhD because I could say from GED to PhD. But I can say this when I graduate, I'm a doctor of discipleship, amen, by God's grace. Anyways, these students, some of them you've already heard from, are not only preaching, going on the streets, but they are achieving academic excellence. I normally give it to them on Mondays, you know, but why not show them off right now how awesome they've been doing, amen? So Steve Ramos, come on up for making the dean's list. Dude, isn't that awesome? He is a preacher, an on-fire man, and making the dean's list. That's my boy. Stephanie Santoyo, Dean's List for both spring and fall. Spring and fall, doing it. Jose Riasco, he's already a public school gym teacher, wanted to go back and get his Bible education and setting the standards so high. Love you, man of God, up high, bam. And then Jerry Krause, where is Jerry Krause? Give it up. Newly married, oh, now Jerry Vivid. We got to change some, we got to get like a little white out there. You're awesome. Let's give it up for all of them doing good, amen. So good to see you here. Let's open up our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. We're in the middle of a series called God's Heart for You. God loves you. He has such a big heart for you. And this whole series is about you hearing the heart that God has for you. Yes, we are an intense church that preaches the gospel. Yes, we believe in heaven and hell. But more than that, we believe in God's love. We believe that it's God's love that motivated creation. God didn't create people to go to hell. Can everybody look up at me once you get to Ephesians 3? God did not create you to go to hell. Hell is a reality, and we would be doing you a disservice if we didn't talk about hell. Okay, if, if, if they didn't put up a roadblock on the side of the road, you would go off the side of the road if you weren't paying attention, weren't you, wouldn't you? If they didn't put up guardrails by the ocean, some people might fall in, okay? Listen, there is a penalty for rejecting God, but you don't have to reject God. You can accept God and always know and love him. So I want us to today to understand God's heart for you specifically in your family because he loves your family. What if I told you that God is the one who started the whole concept of family? What if I told you God actually created sex? Would you think that's bad? Would you think that's me talking dirty if I told you that? Did you know that? See, the world wants to make sex all dirty and secretive, wants to make it nasty. But God created sex. God created family. God created all of this for our enjoyment. But at the same time, though God created sex and family, sometimes sex and family cause us the most pain. If you think about your past life, I know all of us here that weren't raised in a Christian family or didn't always live Christian, let's be real. I look back at my past life and I look at the sexual experiences that I had, that caused me a lot of pain. Not only did it cause me physical, emo emotional pain, it caused me physical pain. I caught crabs, and I hate to talk about it, but I got to keep it real. You'll never look at me the same again. <laughs> Praise God there's a cure for it, though, amen? I am healed and whole, but I caught crabs. I also caught, you can turn down the monitors, please, up here. I also caught an STI, a sexual transmitted infection. 
Now you may say to yourself, Pastor, that's gross. But do you know how many teenagers are catching those these days? That's epidemic. You know how many college students are catching those? I remember saying this testimony to my friend. We were at a restaurant by Wicker Park. He was Chicago Shore style type of guy. You know what he said back to me? I said, dude, I've had two. You need to slow down with these girls. He said, I've had four. I said, well, then why, aren't you, why, why don't you learn, man? But he, he just, I've had four, and I'm going to keep having sex. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. And this guy looked good. I mean, I was a little jealous of this guy. I mean, if he took off his shirt, he would probably look better than Brad Pitt. I almost want to put a picture of him right now so you all know what I'm talking about. But his mindset was just like, man, I'm going to keep having sex. If that's, the, that's, that's a penalty, it doesn't matter. But you know what a sad thing is? Not only does it hurt yourself, it hurts others. You know that abortion right now is on an incline. It's been decreasing a little bit, but it's on an incline among young adults being used as birth control. Abortion. Two people get together and have sex. Now they don't want to raise the baby. They don't have a family. They don't want to treat the child uh, right and give that child an adoption, so they kill the baby. That's horrific. That's what's happening in our world. And then you look at broken families. You know, if I were to ask you here today, how many grew up in a family of a divorce? Or how many grew up with a stepmom, a stepdad? How many of you grew up not being close to one parent? Or, you know, how many of you experienced something like that, what we would call a broken family? Many, if not most, in our congregation would. Because we are a young church in our 30s and 40s. If you're 50 here, you're already like a grandparent to us, but we're, you're awesome. We love you, but you're mostly the older generation. This whole church is mostly 20 and 30s, and most of the peers that I see here grew up without mom, biological mom and dad married. Now, does that mean that God can't forgive and do great things through our pain and through our troubles? Of course he can. But let's be honest, when a lot of times when we think of family, we think of pain. We think of hurt, and, and maybe you didn't catch STDs like me with sex, but a lot of you, when you think about sex, you think about a broken heart. You think about that person you had sex with, especially ladies, the first person you had sex with, you think about them, and they're not in your life today. Doesn't that give you a bad thought? I mean, I'm not trying to say you would still want to be with a bad person. I'm just saying, doesn't it hurt your heart to know, ladies, you gave yourself away, your virginity, to a person that you'll never probably see again? I mean, that's painful, isn't it? I mean, let's just keep it real. Let's not pretend, you know. And by the way, I have friends that do all types of crazy series during these things. I could have did Bring the Sexy Back. I could have did God Created You to Make Love. I could have said all these funny titles to get people here today. I didn't want to do that. I wanted the church to be here. But I knew a lot of it would be about sex, so I'm glad you're here. Come on, somebody say amen. I just want to let you know I don't do corny things like that every now and then. I might, but not all the time, okay? I just didn't want to be like, oh, you want to talk about sex? I'm going to have a bed up here. Nancy and I are going to be sitting on it. It's so played out. Are you with me? Pastor going to talk about sex. It's like it's so awesome now our pastors talk about sex. Now, I'm going to keep it real. I had an STD. I got crabs. Go post that up on YouTube in the Christmas magazine or TBN or whatever. It's like, like turn to page six for Joe Osteen's story of a blessed life. Page seven for Joe and his story with crabs. There you go. Page seven. Everybody be going to page seven. You know, it's like I want to be that person. You know, I never caught herpes, but I can see myself being in that commercial, you know, like, you know, whatever that, you know, Lipitec, it helps you with your herpes. And I'm like doing my normal day job, like shoveling. And I'm like, I'm all better now. <laughs> Lipitec, it worked, you know. I said, I feel like I am, you know, like I'm that guy. I'm that guy now. So that's the one you're going to remember. Yeah, we have some visitors here today. I'll forever be that guy they visited that had crabs. You know, that pastor had crabs. But anyways, 
But we all, we all have these stories, you know what I'm saying, about us and sexual experiences, and most of them aren't good. Most of us, when we think about the people we've had sex with, we think about broken hearts. You know, if it's not, if it's not marriage, you know, we're thinking about broken hearts. And then, and then when you talk about marriages these days, though, they're so declining. I got so many stats to show you today. It's, it's, it's sad what's happening with marriage. We, we think now that marriages are almost doomed to fail right from the start. So people are giving up on it because they've already been hurt by it. I already have friends that are getting divorced. I mean, we're not even that old. I'm not even 40 yet. And some of my friends are already divorced, getting remarried on their second marriage, and they're under 40 years old. Somebody say, God, help us. He wants to help us. That's the good part, doesn't he? He wants to help us. Look at this text. It's going to kind of be general, but I'm going to show you specifically later on how this applies to your family. But just track with me right here. Verse 16, it's the text for the whole series. I pray this, uh, Ephesians 3.16, I pray this out of his glorious riches that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Everybody say hearts. Thank you through faith, and I pray that being rooted and established in what? Love. Come on, say love. Love that you may have the power together with the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Somebody say, fill me up, Jesus. Amen. Now look at verse 20 right here. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask, imagine, according to his power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And what? Amen. Somebody say amen again. Amen. Now let me give you a couple definitions, and I want to get back to keeping it real, okay? But I want to give you some definitions. First of all, biblical family. I got to say that this day, uh, today. And by the way, when we start talking about families in just a little bit, I actually got to title it heterosexual families and uh, homosexual families. So we got to keep it real today, don't we? So I'm going to show you a definition of the Bible of a biblical family. God's definition, the primary definition that's used of a family is a mother and father with children and their extended relatives. This would be aunts, cousins, etc. Genesis 16:2 notes that Sarah considered children to be what would be a part of her family. Now also, which is acceptable, but that is the base definition, but what's also acceptable is considering single parents, including widows, and married couples without kids to have a family. So a couple here today, if you're married and you don't have kids, you could say we're starting a family or we are a part of an extended family, okay? But if you look at the general definition, a family would include children, offspring. Now, when we look at the next thing that I want you to see, redefinition is where we're having problems today in our culture. Everybody say redefinition. This literally means, the word redefinition means the act of giving a new definition. So if I say this is no longer a phone, this is a car, I have redefined this. I have not changed this. I have just redefined it. I have called it something different. By me calling this a car, does it now have four wheels and an engine and a steering wheel, gas? Does that become this? No. I have simply did a change of definitions, a change of wording. And I want you to see how this is being applied in our our culture. People are changing the definition of family to include couples living together without being married and homosexuality. Now, I want to be sensitive here because we have people in our church that live together without being married, and we have those that uh, practice homosexuality. But I want you to hear my heart today. That's a redefinition of family. 
That's not God's ideal family. God's ideal family starts with a married couple and then children. Now, some people may be single parents here and say, hey, you know, I didn't do it right. I'm a single parent now. What does God have for me? Well, God has forgiveness for any mistakes that you've made along the way, and he wants you to be the best that you can be right now, okay? And if you're saying today, well, if I'm a homosexual, what do I do? You can pray and ask God to give you a plan for your life, and that is either remaining celibate or asking God to give you desire for the opposite sex. And I'll talk about that later, but I'm giving you some brief answers right now. Or if you're living together, you can say, let's get married and let's start our family and do it God's way. Amen. But what we don't want to do is change definitions. Now, I have a lot of things to share with you, and I'm going to do a shotgun approach. This means that I'm going to go through it fast and furious and very quick. But at the end, we're going to go slow a little bit and give some advice. But if you want to dis uh, discuss this further, you got your disciplers and you got your life groups. Can I hear an amen for that? So don't get upset if Pastor didn't spend a half hour talking about what Oprah Winfrey said about Stedman and how they still are a family or talk about why Will and Grace, you know, why, why homosexuality, the Modern Family, I'm trying to think of some TV show, like The Modern Family with the two gay couple, why it's not a family. I'm sorry I don't have time today. We do have time at other times, amen? And I have, I, by the way, I did a whole entire message on homosexuality. I've done a whole entire message on God and sex and all of those things. But today it's a bigger subject, so i got to get through it. Can I get an amen? You all just encourage me, okay? Let, let me just give you this. Somebody says foundation. Boom, the foundation on which we build things is the most important thing of what we're building. We build the foundation first. How many are happy Hancock Building has a good foundation? How many are happy your highway has a good foundation or the road you drove on today, the bridge, right? Okay, your house. Are you happy your house has a good foundation? Can I tell you the foundation for a society, a civilization, a culture? It's families built upon God's principles. I want you to use your mind right now and think of every problem you see in society and play a game with me right now and see if you can draw an arrow back to families being the source of the problem or the source of the solution. Just use your imagination. Think of the biggest problem you can think of right now. So let's think of teen violence and murders on the street. Where can I trace that, that problem back to? Back to families. Though, of course, teenagers can make their own wicked decisions, as I'll show you here later, the majority of criminals, the majority of those killing are growing up without fathers. They are in fatherless homes, and because of that, they are suffering the consequences of that, and we cannot pretend that fathers don't matter. They do matter, okay? You may say, well, what about all these problems with greed and corrupt businesses, corrupt politicians, family? First, that person was not either raised the right way or is not now, now not treating others the right way. So, for example, if I am a politician and I have been raised in the godly principles in my family to treat others and to, uh, as I would want to be treated, if I had been taught that as a child, when I am now in charge of your tax money, won't I treat your family the way I have been treating my own family? So if someone doesn't treat your family the way they treat your family, uh, uh, if, if, if Rahm Emanuel doesn't treat your family the way he treats his family, that's hypocrisy, is it not? So if Rahm Emanuel sends his kids to private school and you go to public school, that's not him looking out for public school, is it? Are you guys tracking with me? I can trace it all back to family. Everything into the entire world, everything I can trace back to family. Can I tell you the real easiest way to do this? Adam and Eve. 
Everything goes back to Adam and Eve. So even if you go, oh, I don't know, this is kind of stretching it. You know, like, 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 like why, why does the, the Chinese all-you-can-eat buffet have MSG and it, it makes me sick and allergic? Can you trace that back to families? A long way I can because they're wanting to get more money for their food and they want to do all of this this because Adam and Eve sinned. Now, you may say that's stretching it, but the bottom line is Adam and Eve sinned and there's that kind of stuff going on today. Okay, now watch this. Can I give you some stats and facts? Somebody say, make it plain. Now get ready for the shotgun, because I'm going to run through these quick. I have gone through them before. I didn't even want to put all the web addresses and footnotes here. It would have taken too long. Any of these things, by the way, notes online, Facebook, you can always find them, website. Any of these you question, I'll send you the direct links, and I'll send you messages that I probably preached more thoroughly on. Let's go through it. Number one, heterosexual marriage stats right now. Before we hear God's heart for your marriage, your family, your life as a single, let's see how it's working in the world around us right now. Okay. Now, by the way, let me pause here as well before I go, you know, unload this thing. When I read all this to you, most of you are going to be like, duh. It is so, like I was going through these things and I was like, oh my gosh, this is so what I see every day. It's not even like a surprise. Watch. Number one, the average age for women getting married now is 27 years old. That's a record high in men being 29 compared to 23 women, 26 in the 90s and 20 and 22 in 1960. They got married in 1960 on average at 20 and 22 years old. Even earlier before that, your grandparents got earlier. Now, as uh, married earlier, and for the most part, would you want a life like your grandparents, a marriage like your grandparents? I think they did it better than us. We think we're better than them. We're not even half the marriages we are of them. They made it to 50 years. Some of our friends can't even make it to 20 years, 10 years. Are you listening to me? We don't know what we're doing, but that's okay. Let's keep going. The marriage rate in the U.S. is at an all-time low. We know this. 31% are only married. When the highest was in 1920, 91%. 91% of adults used to be married. Now only 30%. The alarming low marriage rate among 25 to 34-year-olds, which is pretty much our church, has led to record highs in cohabitation and single parenting. Also a problem that we're having is the divorce rate, 41% for the first marriage, 60% for the second marriage, and 73% for the third marriage. You know why? Because stupid is as stupid does. Just because you get older doesn't mean you get smarter. You'll keep making the same mistake over and over and over again because guess what? You're there. Amen? It's not always just the other person's fault. If you don't change, you're going to keep showing up with the problem. Amen? And here's the chart. Look at the marriage rate. From 1965 to 2010, has it gone up, folks, or has it gone down? This is among young adults right here. This is the marriage rate. This is from, uh, this is educated, non-educated, blue being high school, uh, green being bachelor. So those who have money are a little bit more sophisticated. This is the U.S. Census Bureau of 2000. Look at this. I mean, is this not our culture? This is it. You, you don't think this affects fam, uh, our children? You don't think this affects our, 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 our jobs? You don't think it affects our society? How can you have a culture without families, friends? And what better ne- definition than the Bible's definition? Now, here we go. Let's keep it real. Now, homosexuality, uh, same genders, wanting to marry and, and, and call it marriage and live together. Well, we've already had stats on how that's been working out thus far. Let's see how, oh, no, I'm sorry. Let's go to heterosexual first. Let's not skip ahead. Heterosexual family stats. Y'all ready for this? Here we go. Watch this. For the first time in U.S. history, the median age of women having children is now lower than the time that they get married. Think about that. Women are now having children for the first time younger than when they're getting married. 
25 years old is, is the average that they're having their first baby. 26 is by the time they get married. Currently, right now in America, 48% of first-time births are to unwed mothers, up to 25%, up from 25% in 1988. And just in 1979, we talk about the crazy 60s and 70s, only 11% were being born to unwed mothers. In our generation, it's almost half. And right now, it is predicted that by the year 2016, just next year, we're going to tip that scale. And for the first time in American history, more children will be born to unwed mothers than to wed mothers. One other one of the problems of that is abortion. A million children die in abortion clinics among this growing rate of young adults growing because they're having sex without wanting to have families. It's hurting people. Well, I don't hurt anybody. Yes, you are. You're hurting unborn children. Now look at this right here. Single-parent families make up 35% of all families with African-Americans rate at 67%. Hispanics at 42%. Now I know it's the gringo that has to sometimes be the bearer of bad news, but how many love your gringo pastor? Can I get a little love for you? Amen. Half of you. Okay. The other half, bear with me. It's tight, but it's right. This is what is happening in our urban areas, the degradation of our cultures. If Martin Luther King Jr. could see this, he would fall on his knees and repent. He would preach to his own people, as are the good pastors in the black community with Latino uh, 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 people as well. This is not where they came from. This is not their heritage. This is not how families once used to be built. African-American families, I believe it was in the 50s, actually had a stronger family than the white Anglos of that time. It's unbelievable what urban decay, sinful entertainment, and a backslidden church, for the most part, that doesn't want to talk about it, that has led to this epidemic. Amen. Praise God. Can somebody say amen because Jesus is going to help us. Since most single parents are led by single mothers, so think about that. Since most single parents are led by single mothers, praise God to the single fathers. We know they're out there. Children are growing up without their father. This is a big epidemic and face many obstacles such as higher crime rate, greater emotional instability, likelihood of lower grades, and teen pregnancies. Just go to fatherlesshomes.com, I believe, and you can see all the statistics that follow homes without fathers. Now, does this mean that God can't redeem us? Yes, he can. Single parents, be happy. Jesus loves you. He's going to help you. Amen. But let's not pretend it's okay. Let's ask God for some good stuff to happen. Amen. Then if you're thinking to yourself, every time he talks about family, I hear this and I get all discouraged. Stop getting discouraged. Hear it as a confirmation that this is not what we want our children to do. Amen. I don't want my children to have crabs. That's why every time I talk about sex, I show them crabs. I'm going to show them a little crab here. I'm going to say, you don't want this. You don't want this where you go pee pee at. You don't want that. And I'll show them like a king crab. I'll be like, you don't want that in your pants. You don't want that in your pants. Where, what's wrong? Oh, daddy, that's crazy. Oh, okay, don't you ever have sex. No, but we're going to teach them the right way. We're going to teach them the right way. Now, homosexual uh, family stats. There is, one, there is one set of stats at the end that's being argued right now in the university level. They don't think he did his research right, but I still stand by it, and I have reasons for it. Mark Regenerous. But anyways, here's what we do know for a fact. This is not arguable. The uh, average homosexual man has between 20 and 100 partners per year. The average heterosexual man only has eight partners in a lifetime. 43% of male homosexuals had sex with more than 500 people. 78% of homosexuals are affected by STDs, and only though they make up 2% of the U.S. population, they account for 61% of all HIV infections. That is why they still cannot donate blood at the Red Cross. 
They get upset about that, but that's what it is. A 2011 study, this is once again unarguable. I'll tell you the one that they argue about, but this is unarguable here, still as the other one was STDs, unarguable. This is, this is not Christian-based anything. This is unarguable. 2011 study shows that domestic violence rates are higher among same-sex couples with upwards of twice as high of those of opposite-sex couples, even higher among lesbian couples. So women think that they're going to treat another woman better than a man. It's deceptive. They end up being in more volatile relationships, being mistreated by another woman. Look it up yourself if you don't believe me. Lastly, here's the arguable one, but I stand by it, and I, I don't have time to tell you why, but just is, I believe this because they did their stats. And let me just say real shortly, they think that they only picked out certain kinds of lesbians and homosexuals to children to interview. I don't believe that. It was a wide audience, and it still stands by his university, and I stand with him. Children raised by lesbian mothers were 10 times more likely to be uh, homosexual, excuse me, 10 times more likely, three times more likely by homosexual parents to be touched sexually by a parent. We're not generalizing every gay and lesbian couple saying that they're going to molest their kids or allow somebody to do that. It's just 10 times more likely, three times more likely than the 2% rate of married biological parents. So let me just tell you, watch this everybody, the safest place to raise your children free from sexual abuse is having the biological mom and dad there. 2 times 10, 20% of children raised in lesbian families said they were violated sexually. 2 times 3, 6% of those raised in homosexual families said they were violated sexually. Only 2% of those raised in biological mom and dad families said they were violated sexually. Now, you can take that up with the statistician if you disagree with it, but the point still remains. This is an outcome of our sin. God did not intend us to raise our families without marriage, being one man and one wife, and he did not intend us to raise our families with same-sex unions. Now, we have always been saying this, and they've been calling us names, and now what we have said has come true. This is what we said as Christians. If we change the definition of marriage and allow it to be for homosexuality, it will then have to be for polygamy and polyamory. They said, you Christians are old fuddy-duddies, you guys are crazy, but if you have noticed right now trailing behind the homosexual lobby for marriage is polygamy they have the polygamy shows on TLC and there's already been three women who have tried to marry each other I believe in Vermont and now polyamory which is multiple couples living together in marriage are already coming down the pipes it's not even now uh, the, the sky is falling type of thought it's happening you know it's happening and so what happened long time ago was we changed the definition now every definition has to fit and is it affecting our children? It's affecting our children. Is it affecting the well-being of the actual people? Yes. Higher violence in their homes. Is it affecting the way we are as a society? Yes. Now, you have to ask yourself a question before I go on to the sermon. Do you have a better definition for marriage than the Bible? You have to be honest with yourself there. Number two, is your definition going to replace the bedrock of proven civilization? So you just have to be honest with your, let's just be real, okay? I'm a pastor. I know everybody agrees with me. So if you go, well, I don't agree with the biblical definition, okay? Are you willing now to base a culture on that? Are you willing to do that? And are you willing to throw away the experience we have had as a civilization built upon families defined as mother, father, children? Are you with me? That is called the Western civilization. Have you ever heard of it? 
the Western civilization. The reason why right now we can stop terrorists is because we're a part of the Western civilization. It's a civilization built upon Christian principles and democracy. It's very important to how we live today. The reason why people left Russia to come here is because we are a part of a Western civilization. The reason why people come from other nations is because we have represented that. America has been the beacon of that. That's why your dollar bill says, in God we trust. That's why, you, that's why America was one of the first nations to not only free slaves, but to give everybody equal rights and liberties. And you may say, well, you know what? We were slaves, and a black person may say, we were slaves in America for a long time. But you know what? They're still slaves in Africa right now by other black people. Have you ever thought about that? Nigerians are still enslaving Nigerians. Ethiopians are still enslaving Ethiopians. Have you ever heard of Sudan? You ever heard of Dofar? Ain't a white Kentucky boy down there doing it with Kuta Kinte. It's another African. So it took the Western civilized world, Europe included, England, France, etc., together to rid the world of these things. Now, you can say, I want to get away from that bedrock. I don't want the Bible. I don't want Jesus. I don't want to do all of that. Well, then you have to be prepared with what comes down the road. Amen? And don't come to me then as a pastor when your family falls apart and your way didn't work and then you blame God. You can come to me and blame your sin, but don't, don't, don't come to me with the problem of evil. Do you know why right now this culture has the biggest argument, the problem of evil? Every time I talk to somebody, it's like, you know, I talk to them about a God. Why is there so much evil in the world? And I talk to them about Jesus. Why is there so much evil? You cannot use the argument of evil when the world has not done things the Christian way. Are you listening to me? You cannot come to me and ask me, why is there so many people killing each other? and starving in the world. Okay, the reason why they're starving in Dofar is because there's a demonic religion called Islam that's blocking the aid from going out there and their own people are enslaving their people. That's why they're starving people in Dofar. That's why it's happening in Ethiopia. Are you listening to me? And Christian isn't, isn't a color either, right? I, I serve a, a brown man from Israel named Jesus, not a white man that was blonde hair, blue eyes, you know, all emaciated on a cross, okay? So this ain't a white gospel. Is everybody with me? I got some of my folks over here. Hey, I ain't serving no white Jesus, baby. He had locks in his hair. He had some golden brown feet. He might have had a nappy beard, praise God. That's my Jesus. Now, anyways, it's going to get real good right now. But you all got to take the tough part. If you're going to change the definition of family, you got to be ready to go against history. You got to be ready to say, we're going to try something new. We're going to do it our way. We're going to do it this way, okay? But don't, don't come blaming God for your problems at that point. We cannot blame God for the violence in the schools. We have done told him we can't even pray to him now. So when all this stuff goes on, why are we now saying it's his fault, right? When your life is all messed up, when I talk to people, and let's just be real here. When I talk to people, most of their problems come from their family, right? Uh, they weren't raised right. They had a bad uh, card dealt to them in life, or, or they were abused, or all that, and they're blaming, where was God, where was God? Listen to me, God is in the midst of men's wickedness trying to help them. If your family member abused you sexually, it's because he is full of the devil on his way to hell. God is trying to save him and you from going to hell. It wasn't your fault. That's not the point I'm making. My point is it's sin's fault. The devil brought sin here. And Adam and Eve together as the first family said, let's give it a try. Let's see how far we can get with sin. Somebody say it's tight, but it's right. Oh, man, I love you so much. I got to tell you the truth sometimes. Hopefully all the time. You all ready for the sermon now? Look to your neighbor and say, that was just the introduction. Here is the sermon. You all ready for the sermon? 
This is the good part now. Look at the Bible with me, Ephesians chapter 3, 14 through 15. Here is the sermon, and I want to encourage you today. I want to encourage you, man. I want to help you. I want to walk with you. I want to be honest with you. I want to share my weaknesses as you share yours, but I want us to find our identity in Christ today. Amen? Let's look at this scripture here, Ephesians 3, 14 through 15. Before we do, does anybody know any, uh, see anything familiar here about the address of this scripture? Ephesians 3, 14 through 15. We just read what? The portion afterwards, didn't we? The series scripture is Ephesians 3, 16. Now, look at this before that passage. Now, I told you I was going to get to this, right? Let's see how it connects right here. Ephesians 3, 14, Paul speaking. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Then he gets into the passage where we just read, talking about the marvelous, awesome love of God. Then he says, I pray he's already on his knees. I go to my knees to the Father from whom every family gets its name. And while I'm here, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power. And he goes on to say these things. Why? Because God wants you to have a family bowing down to Jesus. God wants your family to be at the feet of Jesus. The family can be a place of pain and emotional turmoil. When I talk about homosexuality or abuse, I don't talk about those things lightly. I don't mean that these are easy answers and easy choices. I talk about it in a serious light. When I say men to stop looking at pornography because it ruins your sex life, I don't mean you're going to just think to yourself how easy this is and jump off and do it. I'm trying to tell you, you've got to hit your knees. You've got to come to Christ to do this. If I'm going to be faithful to my wife in a world of temptation where I can't even look at an Internet thing or a YouTube video without seeing some big-breasted woman telling me about some uh, hormone extender or you know what I'm talking about, you know, have, you know, like she's laying here. You know, I don't even want to tell this thing in my head. I got this thing in my head right now. I got to move past this. Viagra, you know. Men in their 50s. And she's like laying in her bed like men in their 50s struggle. But you don't have to struggle. I can't even watch like an internet. I can't even watch. You know what I'm talking about, brother. Can't even watch something without thinking about sex. The only way that I'm going to remain pure is on my knees before God, understanding his love. Amen. That's the only way we're going to make it through this world. On our knees, receiving the power of God's love. That's how a marriage is strengthened. Well, I'm a single mom. Well, you're going to make it on your knees, receiving the power of God. Well, I didn't have a dad growing up. You're going to make it on your knees and have a heavenly father who will never leave you or forsake you. We're all coming to God. If we do it right, we're coming and bowing our knee before him, saying, I didn't get here on my own. I have a family, and it came from you. You're the one that started the human race, God. And I bow before you, and I ask you for help. And I ask for your power, and I ask for your wisdom, and I ask for your principles. May not be what Dr. Phil says, may not be what Oprah Winfrey says, but God, I want what you say. Come on, can I get a witness? Can I give you some advice? Here's from a pastor's heart. 
I am only 38 years old, so I'm not like, like old Grandpa Pastor Joe is going to talk to you now, youngins. When Nancy and I first got married, no, but I just want to give my advice to you as best as I can as a pastor with almost 20 years of experience, having sat down with all kinds of people, I want to give you the best advice I can summarize from the whole Bible from the situation you may be in. So I want us to see who we are today. This is the part we can all stand up and have a little bit of fun, okay? So if you're here today and you're single and you don't have kids, you're single and you don't have kids, would you stand up, please? You're single and you don't have kids. Okay. If you are single and you have kids, would you stand up, please? Keep standing, everybody. We're going we're gonna to do this, okay? All right, all right. Some singles ready to mingle. Look around. Who do you see in your row? This may be your time. God is calling you. Now we'll move right along. Married, if you're married without kids, stand up, please. You are married, but you ain't got no kids. You got a lot of free time and a lot of extracurricular activities going on. <laughs> okay? Now, if you are married with kids, will you please stand up? You are married and you have kids. Okay. If you are not standing right now, you either were not paying attention <laughs> or you are from another planet where these kinds of things do not work. Okay. So everybody in here is in one of these four categories. Please keep standing. Just think about it. There are people in our church that are single without kids. That would pr pretty much be all the teenagers, right? Of course, there's young adults, and it could be however old you are, but that's pretty much a lot of our young people. They're single with kids. That's our single parents, praise God. They're doing what they do. There's married without kids. Like I said, they have a lot of free time and extracurricular activity to partake in. And then there's married with kids. This is everybody. So we got an advice for you. Amen. I got some advice. Can you give the Lord a hand clap? Amen. You're here today. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Let me start off with uh, single without kids. Here's some general advice. Number one, love God. Be the right kind of person that the opposite sex would want to marry. Live holy. Be patient. Serve God while you're waiting for your spouse. And avoid feeling sorry for yourself, living in sin, and wasting your time. Can I get an amen? Amen. Ishmael Lopez, would you stand up? He is in charge of our single men's ministry. This is for adults. And then his wife, Robin, is in charge of the single women. Okay? So see him for the life groups that meet for single women and single men. And please come at whatever age you're at. Don't let our church youth scare you off. Amen? So who would you rather be with, young people or a bunch of old people with canes? Okay? So, I mean, if you're like, well, is, I feel so old that I'm here. Well, come on and teach us something then, right? Share your life experience with us. Don't hang out at the nursing home. I mean, you can. Oh, my Lord, I sounded bad. <laughs> Hang out at the nursing home, but come to church here, okay? That still sounded bad. doesn't matter. Okay. Single with kids. Here's the general advice. Love God. Put your family above anyone else, okay? Because it's very dangerous in introducing children into their life unless you're serious, okay? So just be careful. Put your children above anyone else. Raise your children in church while you serve. Bring them to church. Make that important, a part of their life. That's where they'll see godly fathers, godly mothers. Whatever is missing from that marriage or, or relationship you had, they can find it in church. The Bible calls the church the family of God. The Bible uses terms like brothers and sisters. So raise them in church while you serve. Be the right kind of person that, that the opposite sect would want to marry because some single parents are still ready to marry again. Amen. You want to take another try at it. We don't believe that divorce is an unpardonable sin. You can be remarried. Go for it. And then be patient, live holy, and do what uh, 
the Lord will want you to do while you're waiting for the opposite sex, uh, you're waiting for the spouse. And then here's some things to avoid, single parents, being overwhelmed. It is a choice. Don't allow your life to overwhelm you. Take your life under control. God is with you because if you're out of control, the whole house is going to be out of control. Don't let yourself be depressed, okay? A lot of single moms may deal with this. Don't allow yourself to be depressed. Get out there. Find a job. Go get more education, okay? Continue to live your life. You will be astounded at what God can do through you. And then don't be bitter. Get better. Amen? Oh, that man messed me up. I hate men. Don't be bitter like that. Don't become a cat lady. Amen? Become better. If you want to have cats, that's fine. Just don't become a cat lady. Okay. Here's uh, married without kids. Here's some general advice. Love God. If you notice, love God comes quite frequently in my advice. Enjoy the time you have together because it's it's a special time, isn't it? Nancy, now how long did we wait before we had kids? Three years, we enjoyed the extracurricular activities. I keep saying that. But we enjoyed it. We had fun. We traveled. We got all the outfits that we always wanted to wear and dress. We dressed sexy and hot. We're both trying to go back to that for our 10-year anniversary. But you know, the woman's body, it changes, and the man's changes, you know. So just enjoy being single. Enjoy lifting weights all the time and going to the gym. I mean, you can still do that when you're married, but it gets a little harder. And then when you get kids, a little bit harder. You can still do it, though. No excuse, right? No excuse. We hold it down, Right? Where's my men? We're going to lose some weight. We're going to look like some of the hot guys in here. Holy hot boys. Okay. Now watch this. Use, uh, plan your family on God's schedule, so do it God's way. Then use your extra time and income for savings and kingdom investments. Okay, so you're married without kids. Take that extra trip to Atlanta for your job to get the promotion. Stay a little bit later. Come a little bit early. Outwork your competitors. You can do that when you're this age. Achieve great goals because you may have to put on the brakes a little bit when you start having kids. I meet a lot of uh, financially stable, uh, successful men that say they get to a point like my neighbor, and he said, I just couldn't grow my business anymore because I wanted to be at my kids' games, okay? He's still very successful, but he had to pull back a little bit because he knows the cost. A lot of times success will cost you a lot, okay? But go for it now. You have a free reign. Just go. Let that let that horsey go, amen? No excuses. Make, make it happen. And make it rain in the church too, okay? You got all that expendable income. Just don't be going out all the time to the clubs, you know what I'm saying? Like $10 cocktails and all that. Make it rain in the offering, amen? Make it rain, you know what I'm saying? Amen. Avoid planning a family your way. So don't just think about what you want to do. I was waiting till I had a house that I have now, and, and I had a word from a missionary. She said, you know what? God did not tell you to wait when he told you to start the church. He said, you start the church, and I'll get a building. That's what she had told to me, right? And she said, God's saying the same thing about your family. Don't wait to have the, build, the house and all that. Do it now, and God will give it to you. But that was the word for me. I'm not giving that to you. you got to plan it on your way. But the moment I did that, increase started coming, and now we have a beautiful home. We have all the space we ever needed, but I had to start in a two-bedroom apartment, amen. I had to believe God that it would happen there. Uh, and then avoid planning a family your way, being selfish, and fighting over small things. Have you ever seen people who are like, like married folks of us here who, who have kids and all this, and you see like those newlywed couples, and they're fighting all the time. It's like, oh, get over it. You guys have nothing to fight about. You have not gotten down to the point where you went into your kid's room at 2 in the morning, and there's a poop brick in their pants. And you've got to get up and take it to the toilet, and then it clogs the toilet. <laughs> you have not gotten to that point yet. You guys are just in a honeymoon. Enjoy it. I don't care if you're 15, you're still, you're, enjoy it. Because when you have kids, there's so much pressure. There's so much pressure. And literally, the poop brick is a serious thing. Serious thing. Poop brick, I don't have time to get into it. Don't fight over small things. 
And we do have some older couples here. We have some golden age couples here. Enjoy it. If your kids have moved out, enjoy it. Amen. Don't let the small things get you down. I remember watching an old couple get out in front of an Applebee's, and she took her purse and slapped him up by the side the head. And I'm like, Lord, I don't want to be like that. Whatever made her mad, I don't want to make Nancy mad like that. You know, so like I said, stupid is a stupid does. Being old doesn't mean you're smart. So, you know, get, get it right now. Live it out and enjoy your retirement years. Amen. Here's two things now that I want to share in closing. Rachel, would you come, please? This is really the heart of the message. I felt being a good pastor, I would give you a lot of information, but I hope here comes the revelation. Two things God wants you to know about his heart for your family. If I could give you just two big concepts. Are you guys ready for this? Quickly turn with me to Luke 14, 25. Gentlemen, I'll need your help, please. Luke 14, 25. I want to give you two big concepts here about God's heart for your family. Thank you, Rachel. This is going to be good. This is going to mess with you at first, though, trust me. You're going to be like, what? I didn't see this on a Hallmark card. Luke 14, 25. If you think you're at the wrong place, you're probably right at the right place. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. That's pretty cool. Jesus is popular. And turning to them, he said, if you want a good life, all you have to do is be nice to everybody. Is that what Jesus said? And turning to the large crowds, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, his mother, wife, and children, and brothers, and sisters, and cousin Flacco, and Aunt Mima, Grandpapa, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Hold on, Jesus. Where did we miss it? That's pretty confusing right there, isn't it? Have you ever seen that on a Hallmark card? Have you ever seen that Bible verse knitted into somebody's pillow, like your grandma's pillows, or on a, on a magnet? Hate your father and mother. God bless you. Hashtag hate. Jesus says hate. Now you're left with two, two solutions to this problem. It's either number one, Jesus did not say this, and the Gospels are wrong, which then unravels the whole Bible. Because this is as attested, as accurate as John 3.16. There is no missing manuscript or some type of grammatical error here. Hate doesn't mean something other than hate. It literally means hate in the Greek, and this is there. So you either, A, got to just do away with the Bible and go, I don't think Jesus would say that. And then you make a Jesus in your own mind, which becomes an idol. You know, my Jesus wouldn't send anybody to hell. Oh, okay, well, your Jesus is not in the Bible. Does your Jesus have wings and a unicorn? Uh, a little, yeah, is he like that? Is he, you know what I'm saying? Is he like on the never-ending story, flying on a big dog? That You know, like where, what else does your Jesus do and not do? Does he not do meat either? Is he a vegan? Oh, yeah, my Jesus is a vegan. Okay. Your Jesus is a vegan who flies on a unicorn and a big dog, like never-ending story, doesn't send anybody to hell, and he, he, he eats vegetables. Okay, but that's not the Bible, Jesus, right? So either A, you unravel the Bible and go to your own Jesus of your own making, or B, you've got to go to the next verse. How many are happy for another verse? Look at the next verse. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Can I give you the interpretation to this really briefly? The problem here is not with the word hate in our understanding. The word that we need to really look at is cannot. Let me explain this to you. I love to go wakeboarding. 
And so I get on the, uh, the boat, I, then I hop off the boat, I put on my wakeboard, and I hold on to the rope. And then it pulls me up, and I start wakeboarding. I start holding on to it with one hand. I'm doing my little jumps. If you ever see me on Facebook, you know, like I'm doing it, and I'm having fun. If Nancy tried to get on my shoulders, like how you might have seen in those 60s movies where they would all get on the skis and all that, if Nancy tried to do that, I would poof, I would fall right over. I can't, I can't do it. I just can't. Are you with me? I cannot. Then if I tried to bring Bethany in one arm, Hannah in the other arm, I don't have an arm to hold on to the rope with. I cannot do it with my children. The cannot here is telling you you cannot do family without putting God first. And so if I wanted to go wakeboarding, I would have to do it with me in the boat. Now you may say that's selfish. Well, let me give you another example. Maybe it'll help you understand. Have you ever been on a plane before? And they repeat the same thing that they repeat every single time as if you don't have enough common sense to remember the 500th time ago they told you. You put on a seat belt like this. Click. This little thing inflate, uh, inflates. Oh, you know what I'm talking about. But then they get to this part. If oxygen leaves the plane, what's going to happen? This thing's going to fall down. And then what are you supposed to do first? Put on your face mask so that you can put on the face mask of others. So let's say you're like, you know what, I'm going to love God, but I'm never going to, you know, uh, put my, uh, you know, children after God. Children are always going to come before God. I'm always going to make it always about my family. If you try to make life without your family, you're going to run out of oxygen, and you're never going to be able to put oxygen on them. If you ever try to do it without God, the very thing you're trying to save is actually going to get lost. And now I want to give you a serious example. Imagine if I was in the military being sent to Egypt right now to drop it like it's hot on these ISIS terrorists. Are you with me? I've got my M60. I'm like Rambo. Could I effectively take down the enemy with Hannah in my arms? But I could take down the enemy and then by doing so give Hannah and Zoe and my children a safe place to live but I would have to go to war. Let me tell you, salvation cannot be for your family's sake. You have to be saved for your sake first. Dad, you have to want to serve Jesus because you want to serve Jesus. You can't bring all your family and kneel them down. I had friends I went to school with. We used to do drugs together. And guess where they sent their kids? Christian school. Dad, you can't do that. I mean, it's a good idea. I mean, praise God he had some sense. But you can't expect God to get in your family like that. You can't just bring your children to the altar and bend them before God. You bend your knee, daughter. You bend your knee, son. No, Father, you bend your knee first. You bend your knee first, and then you call your daughter over. And then you call your son over. And then you call your wife over. Then you call your family over. Then you call your grandpa over. You call everybody. You're there first. Amen. The first thing that God wants you to know about his heart for your family is he doesn't want you to attempt it by yourself. He wants you to put him first so that he can get your back and raise the family with you. He'll give you wisdom. He'll give you insight. He'll give you love. He'll give you understanding. Do it God's way. So what does that mean? Hate. I hate being a parent without God. I hate being a son to my parents without God. I hate being a brother or sister without God. 
I am no good to anybody without God. Can I give you the second thing in closing? Last point, Mark 9, 42. Quickly, Mark 9, 42. I'm going to do it first so that others can do it with me. I'm going to do it first so that others can do it with me. I got some teenagers here that you break my heart all the time because you tell me stories about how you've been raised. I got young people. I won't embarrass them. Of course I wouldn't, but I got young people here that break my heart all the time. They tell me their dad smokes weed in front of them. They tell me that they see this mom have a, their mom have a boyfriend. These guys come in and out, in and out. It breaks my heart every time. But I want to tell you, young person, I want to tell you, listen to me. You bow your knee before God. You may be the only one in your family, but you bow your knee before God. You let him strengthen you. He'll give you power. He knows your heart. Mark 9, 42. Jesus said, if any one of you causes these little ones, he's talking about our children, those who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around your neck and you went into the sea and drowned yourself. Well, that's pretty serious, isn't it? Now, once again, that could kind of mess your day up right here because there may be some parents like me who have messed up and caused their children to stumble that might have to go look for a rock today to go hang themselves on and go drown. I mean, let's be real. Have I ever caused my daughter to stumble? Yeah, I've, I've been angry. I've been upset. I haven't always talked to Nancy the way I was supposed to. And my kids believe in God, and they have to endure some of that, and that's not good. But what is the point there? I'm thankful for another verse. How many are thankful there's another verse? He then says, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed with two hands than to go to hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. Well, we're not getting better yet. We're just losing a lot of limbs. Uh, verse 27, and if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. Now I don't have eyes. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of heaven with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into hell. You might say, how in the world does that help me understand it? Well, first I wanted to let you know it's parabolic. Because God isn't actually asking you to cut things off. and He doesn't want you to kill yourself. That will never help your family. But what he is wanting you to know, number two, is that you've got to get rid of everything that hinders you in your Christian walk. So can I tell you what sets the example before my kids is when I talk wrong to my wife and I cut off my attitude and I take that attitude down to the lake and tie it to the grace of God and throw it away and apologize in front of them and say, Bethany, Hannah, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have talked to your mom that way. Parents, we have to be able to cut things off in front of our family. We have to show them what it's like to go down with attitudes and things that are not pleasing to Christ and die at that lake. You say, but I'm a new person in Christ. Absolutely, I'm new in Christ too. But I could still have an attitude that is not of Christ. I didn't say I'm bringing my old man and there's some battle on the inside. No, I'm bringing an attitude. I'm bringing a mindset. I'm bringing words that I shouldn't have spoke. I'm bringing stinking thinking. I'm bringing agitation and, and, and being so easily upset and quick to anger. I'm bringing that to the Lord, and I'm cutting it off, and I'm saying let it be drowned in that sea. Why? Because I don't want my kids to see a representation of God that's not true. God wants us to represent him to our children. 
And so if I ever don't represent him to my children, what I then ought to represent is humility and repentance. Because I'm the only or should be the best example that they'll ever have of who God is. Think about that. You are your children's greatest example of who God is. They learn about God's generosity through your generosity. They learn about God's love through your love, parents. And if we ever mess that up, if we ever taint that image, we should be the first to say, no, 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 no. Bethany, that wasn't God in me. That wasn't the way God would talk to Nancy. That was me doing something wrong. I'm sorry. Do you forgive me? See, that's how we set the example. So what is God's heart? God's heart is, number one, don't try this without him. Bow before him. Let him give you the strength. And then number two, make it your greatest desire and aim to represent God to your family. And I used a lot of examples about children, but if you don't have children, to your mom, to your dad. Young people, can I tell you the greatest representation of God to your parents is a clean room, clean undies. Like if you did your own laundry, like your mom will think like an angel came down. She'll be like, oh my gosh, I'm coming to church with you. What happened to you? You actually did the dishes. You did your own laundry. You cleaned your own room. Oh, and, and if you got good grades, I mean, she will never leave this church, right? She will come and she will thank God. She will, she will be the happiest mom in the whole world. So how do we help moms who maybe don't come to church with us to know about Jesus? We show them, young people, the representation of Christ. You know, Christ was once a young person. He was a teenager. He was. He didn't go to BigHooters.com either. He was pure. Hello, let's keep it real because I'm talking to teenagers in the 21st century. Is that all right? Okay. You guys represent them, by the way. There's a lot of them over here, and they're happy they don't sit there. But guess what? Jesus was pure. He didn't have sex with himself. He didn't have sex with others. He treated others right. He didn't join a gang. He wasn't a rebel. There were rebels at that time that would start trouble. And you know what? He was a leader. He helped his family. He worked. He supported his family. And then when it was time for him to move out, he was a blessing. Amen? That's how you guys want to be, represent Christ to your family. Can we all stand to our feet? Let's give Jesus a hand clap. Come on, it's all about Jesus. Amen. Band, altar workers, uh, would you come, please? How many got something out of today? Anybody? Amen. Thank you. I needed that. Every now and then I need encouragement. If you need more advice, we've got so many life groups here. We have single moms life group. Woo! Come on, wave it. Yeah! We have the single men and single ladies we've already talked about. We have marriage life groups. Where's Ricardo and Rachel? Here's Rachel. Where's Ricardo? He's doing whatever he does. There he is. Come on up, Ricardo. Let's try that again. And when I do it, just pump your fist like that, okay? And we got Ricardo and Rachel doing marriage life groups. Yeah! And then we have the youth group with Pastor Alejandro and Lilani. So, I mean, as a church, have we given you our best? Right? We have. King's Kids also on Wednesday. Let's get up King's Kids. Amen. Infant to 11 years old, and you can drop them off if you want. Once you trust us, trust me, you're going to want to drop them off. At first, you're like, I don't really know you guys. I'm going to hang around here all night. Once you get to know us, you're like, oh, man, you go in there. Mama and Daddy going out tonight. 
How many like that? Come on, let's be real. Once you trust the children's workers, you're like, you good. You good, Bethany. You are so good right now. You're like, yes, you're like so good. You're staying here for a while now. Praise God. You got something to be a part of here. Let's grow together as the family of God, the church, as we grow our families. If you're by your family, could you hold their hand, child, daughter, uh, or a husband, a wife, whatever. Just hold their, fam uh, your, their hand if you're with your family. Oh, Jesus, we thank you today for families. We thank you for your definition of families. We know in our culture that sometimes they don't know better. They don't know what's best. But, Lord, we know you do. And so, Lord, we just pray that every family will be the kind of family that you approve and bless and prosper. May our homes be places of peace and rest. May there be no abuse, no verbal abuse, sexual abuse, drug or alcohol abuse, controlling abuse. God, may our homes be full of love. Lord, I, I safeguard and I pray that every marriage here will be guarded against divorce. That, Lord, what you've joined together, no man will tear apart, Lord. That even mistakes won't tear apart marriages, Lord. That they'll reconcile, they'll forgive, they'll move on. They, they won't look to divorce as the way out, God, but they'll look to their knees, their knees, as the way out of trouble into a strong marriage, God. And, Lord, we pray for our children. We pray for all the children that are represented in this church and all the hopes and dreams and aspirations we have for them. God, they, they must, our dreams, my dreams for my kids must be like a grain of sand compared to the vast beach of your plans. Or my love must be like a drop compared to your ocean. So God, I just say, make me the kind of parent that you are pleased with so that Bethany, your creation, because I might have did a little bit, but you created her, God, so that her plan can come about. I pray that every parent here will see their children's destinies come to pass, that you'll protect them and preserve them and prosper them and keep them healthy, Lord. And Lord, I pray for the singles here. Some are ready to mingle and some are not. Some are single for a season. Some are single for a reason. I pray they don't get discouraged. I pray they don't feel lonely that they're holding nobody's hand but their own right now. Because, Lord, you know that that's a place where you have them to learn to trust you. And, Lord, their season can change so fast. I've talked to so many singles that within a year they're in a place, just like Christina said today, that they never even imagined as she testified. So, Lord, I pray for our singles, both young and old, that you'll comfort them. I just say thank you, Lord. We heard your heart today. Help us to live it. In Jesus' name, can everybody say amen? Would you bless them one more time? Come on. Would you slap your neighbor high five and say, God bless you, brother or sister. We love you. Have a wonderful day. If you need prayer for your family, would you come forward so we can pray for you? Otherwise, have a great day. God bless you. We're going to worship as you go, though. If you want to sing along, you can. Come on, if you need prayer, come up. Otherwise, enjoy your week. Enjoy and have a wonderful time with God. God bless you, brother and sister. If you have any prayer requests or need, we'll pray for you now. Let us do that, please.
lift up our, your need to our Father. He cares for you.